0: Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm.
1: Welcome to Bible worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, director of lifelong learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia.
2: And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian.
1: It's time for another special episode. Today we read the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. She's a harlot living in the walls of the city of Jericho who is at the very core of Israel's success as they move into the promised land. How are we to understand this character who has so little power in any official sense, but who seems to know more than anyone else among the people of Jericho or the people of Israel? How do we understand the faith, the moral compass, and the courage of this lifelong sex worker? Does she change over the course of the story? Is this a paradigmatic conversion story as most ancient interpreters read it? It will surprise you not at all to know that Bobby and I think it's far more complicated than that. Thanks for listening. Hey, Bobby, how are you?
2: Hey, Amy, I'm doing pretty well. I'm I'm excited about this special series that we're doing this year.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean... So as, as people may already be aware, we're doing a special series on women in the Bible and really trying to draw out their stories. And, you know, these are not, not stories that are always so well drawn out by the text itself or by interpreters of the text. And so it, it's fun to bring that intention in particular, because even stories that are told about women you could read them with attention to the woman, or you could read them with attention to some other thing in the story. But we're we are reading specifically with attention to these female characters. And it's it's a nice lens. I like it.
2: Yeah, me too. Me too. They say before they do the podcast, and so we don't know <laughs> how we don't and so know. So we'll see we'll
1: how, how it gone. goes. I know. But Maybe I like you'll
0: the I like it. Maybe uh, you'll the premise. Hate it. Yeah. It's a nice idea. Yeah. Yes.
1: So we have we have a number of women we're gonna talk about over the course of the year. Today is a woman that people may not know so much about. I call her Rahav. Yeah. People may also say Rahab.
2: Rahab. That's what I will probably say.
1: Great. Um, That's the same person. (laughs) (laughs) Note number one for our listeners her story is in the book of Joshua. She is primarily in chapter two, a tiny little bit in chapter six. And like so many female characters, the text just gives us these little, little bits yeah. about her. Most of my learning about Rahab has actually not been studying the text, the biblical text in particular, but the history of interpretation of oh, her character. What yeah. do people do with Rahab? Because oh, she, so she breaks out of a lot of boxes <laughs> and um, puts interpreters in in awkward positions in ways that I think are actually really fruitful. So...
2: Yes. Yeah, so I hope you're going to bring some of that into our conversation today. Yeah.
1: I will. I'll, I'll do my best. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. I'll yeah, do yeah. My best. Great. So we are going back today to the book of Joshua where we spent a little time a couple weeks ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Refresh us a little bit. We're at the beginning of the book of Joshua before we were at the end of book of Joshua. What do we need to know in terms of where we are in the plot line?
2: Yeah. I don't think we need to know too much, but you know, this is taking place, of course, after the Israelites have escaped from Egypt across the waters of the Red Sea. They have wandered out into the wilderness some 40 years earlier, and Moses had sent scouts into the land who scouted mm-hmm. out the land, and then they came back, and most of them were afraid, and so they didn't go into the land. And so they spent, have spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and now they are scouting out the land for the second time, this is the generation after the generation that came out, out through the waters of the Red Sea, and they are getting ready to enter into the promised land. So they have sort of been making their way through the Transjordan, and then right here at the beginning of the book of Joshua, they're getting ready to, to scout out the land again and then to come and, and possess the land. I think that's enough. Is that? Is there anything else you would add to that?
1: No, I think that's great. And it's actually so helpful to me already just to be reminded, we already tried this scouting thing.
2: Right. <laughs>
1: and it was not, it low-tove. It did yes. not go well. Low-tove. So just the fact that this story starts again right. with sending spies and then the way those spies are received by Rahav and like really sort of buttressed in there. In their faith, in their belief that this is going to work, already elevates her role, not just in this immediate story, but in the whole sweep of the Israelite story.
2: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I really love that.
1: Rahab is so interesting. Okay, so let's just start reading, shall we? Let's do it, yeah. Okay, so we're in Joshua chapter 2. I'm reading from the NJPS, and I'm beginning in verse 1. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, saying, Go, reconnoiter the region of Jericho. So they set out, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahav and lodged there. The king of Jericho was told, Some men have come here tonight, Israelites, to spy out the country. The king of Jericho thereupon sent orders to Rahav, Produce the men who came to you and entered your house, for they have come to spy out the whole country. The woman, however, had taken the two men and hidden them. It is true, she said, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And at dark, when the gate was about to be closed, the men left, and I don't know where the men went. Quick, go after them, for you can overtake them. Now she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under some stalks of flax, which she had lying on the roof. So the men pursued them in the direction of the Jordan, down to the fords. And no sooner had the pursuers gone out than the gate was shut behind them.
2: I love your translation of that. There's there's like so many t- tongue twisters in there. You did so well with it. Like reconnoiter the region.
1: <laughs> I was like Stocks reconnoiter. Who uses that word? What is your Let's translation? Let's go reconnoiter
2: the region. <laughs> um, <laughs> you want me to do what
1: now? <laughs> what, do, what do I do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is your translation for reconnoiter? <laughs>
2: uh. <laughs> the common English Bible look over the land uh,
1: go, yeah. go look it over it is common English yeah yeah it that is good.
2: This, for some reason this reminds me of my four year old the other day she's such a funny kid but she's like daddy could I go out in the backyard and observe nature for a while <laughs> and I was like she's the kind of kid who's going to write reconnoiter the region when she grows up she, you know oh, what I'm saying
1: you have to teach her that word <laughs> yeah
2: observe reconnoiter nature reconnoiter the yard yeah, I love look that. over the land. That's more my speed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I mean, already just there's so many cues to me already about how how important Rahav is yes. in this story. Yeah, one of them is that the spies aren't named. Like we get the name of Joshua, yeah. and then we get Rahav. Like yeah. That's kind of weird. <laughs> like we're going to tell you the name of the harlot whose house they went to.
2: Right. And that you're exactly right and I appreciate your calling the attention to that cuz so often it's women in the biblical text who are not named yeah. and re- like yeah. rando men are named and here it's like I mean these two spies are presumably fairly important like they're doing presumably? a big job. But yeah. but Rahab is the one who's named. I love that. I love that. Yeah.
1: Okay, the first challenge that our interpreters have both um, in the Christian tradition and in the Jewish tradition, I will pose to you.
2: Oh, great, great, yeah.
1: Why did the spies go straight to a harlot's house?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Common English Bible uses the word prostitute, which I think okay. is helpful. I mean, I don't know, I don't know exactly, but I, but I envision her correctly. I, I think as a she's in the she's in the sex trade, right? She's yeah. Seems to be. Yeah, I feel like what, however you want to read it, like that's that is what is happening here. Amy, I have a couple, I mean I have a couple of responses. One is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, which is like, of course you would go to the prostitute, <laughs> right? If you if you had been like making your way through the wilderness for 40 years and had just come across the <laughs> the Jordan and like uh-huh. and like that's a good it's a good place to go. Uh the second, which maybe I don't know, seems more less problematic is prostitutes know things. Mm -hmm. Prostitutes have interactions with all kinds of people, Mm -hmm. presumably. Prostitutes, I think, are maybe a little bit marginal figures. And so they're not fully maybe accepted into the culture where they are. And Mm -hmm. so maybe their loyalties are a little... like. Maybe they think a little differently than someone who is more centrally mm-hmm. located, and so in those ways, going to a prostitute kind of makes sense if you you're trying, if you're trying to find some things yeah. you've
1: named so many important things already in there. I feel like that could say, <laughs> like, <laughs> sort of summarize a lot of a lot of what i what I think unfolds in this is that the combination of like Rahav has. A lot of contact with the public. (laughs) You know, people come through her house in vulnerable moments and they tell her stuff. So she knows stuff. And exactly as you said, Bobby, society is not set up for her. Right, And so her level of investment in maintaining the power structures that exist is... Less than someone for whom that system is really set right.
0: up.
2: She's going to protect the people who are close to her, but she yeah. is not as invested in the bigger picture of, of the community. Something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I think that's right. I don't know if this is really worth pointing out, but I'll point it out anyway. the 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 fact that these two Israelite leaders go immediately to her house causes so much distress for some interpreters that there are traditions that um, she was not a prostitute. They derive the meaning, the Hebrew word is zonah, Mm -hmm. um, and they attach it to uh, the idea of a a lodging place. So it's more like she's running like a bed and breakfast. (laughs) I love that. So they went to... Rahab's bed and B&B. breakfast. B&B. <laughs> nice try, fellas. <laughs> that, that Good does job. Soften
2: it for sure. Yeah.
1: And for sure softens it. But it also one of the one of the very common ways of reading this story that I I frankly don't particularly like is is of this like the ultimate conversion story? Mm-mm. Like Rahav starts as this disgusting harlot of the Canaanites, <laughs> you know, and then has yeah. this conversion where she becomes a totally different person.
2: Bleh. I don't really like that reading. No. Yeah, bleh.
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> but as as we go through, I'll sort of point out where where people try to make that that argument. I have also heard it suggested that. It's almost supposed to be it could be that it's supposed to be a little amusing to the reader that these supposedly pious spies, as soon as they're you know out from under the thumb of Joshua, go yeah. directly to a pleasure house,
0: yeah <laughs> where yeah. they
1: meet a Canaanite prostitute who actually turns out to be loyal to the Lord and yeah, quotes you know, quotes their own tradition back to them, yeah. and so again, it sort of shows it really elevates Rahav as as the the star of the show here,
2: yeah, I kind of like I kind of like that take on it, and I, I do think the story is kind of having a little bit of fun with these guys, and you, you know like it's it's ambiguous in the text as to whether they went to the prostitute's house or whether they went to the prostitute's house, yeah I'm saying?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh-huh. and
2: uh-huh. you know you can the text is kind of, I think, enjoying that ambiguity a little bit. The yes. other thing that that ambiguity does is, you know, in in terms of, like, this is is this a smart move, is people going into the house of a prostitute don't draw any questions, right? That, like, that happens yeah. all the time. And whereas if he had gone to somebody else's house or these spies had gone to somebody else's house, you'd be like, what was that guy doing at your house? And so, like, it, they've sort of created a cover story, as, as we'll see coming up mm-hmm. in the story. But, I mean, I think it's really shrewd on their part. And I think it's really shrewd on her part. Like I I think that there's I think this is fascinating connection of of these folks. And I mean I don't know whether they went to her house or went to her house.
1: Right. But. Right. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. I'm wondering about her interactions with the king. I mm. I think that in some ways they really just serve to underscore some of the aspects of her character that you've already pulled out, but let's just pull them out a little further. So As soon as the king of Jericho finds out that there are Israelites who have come to spy out the country, where does he go?
2: Exactly, right.
1: To Rahab. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just such an example of someone who like officially on paper has no power. Right. She is a woman. She is single. Yeah. She is childless and she's a prostitute. Yeah. But actually she has a lot of power.
2: Yeah, the king's got to come to her to find out what's what. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then what do you think of her response to the king? The men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And so they left.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, that, you know, that phrase came to me is used in the biblical text. Like if you come to a woman or you come to another person in that sense, like that often has sexual connotations. The hmm. CEB is, of course, the men came to me. Like what else would men who are like wandering in out of the wilderness do, but come to me? Like, of course. and. She's. I mean, she's using her job, her vocation as a sex worker by way of saying, "Like this is just what I do, man. Like, people come to me. I don't ask a lot of questions. Mm. They came here. I don't know what they were doing here. And then they left. Like, what do you want from me? And so in in some ways, being a prostitute gives her that kind of, like, her, her world is a little gray anyway. And so yeah. it gives her a way of just sort of, Creating a, a fiction that's not—that's—I mean—it's entirely plausible.
1: Mm-hmm. That's kind of how
2: I read it. What, what were you thinking about?
1: I, no, I like that a lot. I think the only—the only thing I might add to it is, I find it—I don't know—striking in some way that I feel like my first response would have been to say, like, no, they didn't. They didn't come to me. I haven't seen him. Yeah. And she's—it seems both a little riskier and also smarter. Yeah. To say, like, she's a smart woman.
2: Mm, Yeah, very much so. Say,
1: yes, they came to me, but then they left. I don't know. Like, that's a slightly more complicated story, but probably really believable.
2: No, I think that's exactly right. And you know, one of the things that is I mean, all the way through the story, Rahab is like three steps ahead of what's happening. And, you know, in verse six, and the C E B she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them Mm -hmm. under the flax. I think the reading that as a pluperfect is is right. Mm -hmm. And so that means before the king ever got to her, she knew that the king was going to come. Like she could already see that that was happening. She had already taken them up. She had already hidden them. And then she had this story ready to go. And I think you're exactly right. Like a plausible lie is the best lie. And so Mm -hmm. to say like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Now then, you've got like, oh no, the king actually had an eyewitness. Maybe they saw them come right. to your house. Right. And so she says, oh yeah, no, like exactly, they, they did see what they said they saw, but it was mm-hmm. completely normal and innocent. Now I think she is she's so far ahead of everybody else in this story that it, it's really interesting to see how how her mind worked.
1: Yeah, I want to ask. I want to ask a question, but I don't think we really get the answer till the next paragraph. But I'll ask the question if you have a, a pre-answer. Okay. You can tell me. What is Rahab's investment in hiding these guys? Like, they haven't said anything to each other. Like yeah. Why Why is she doing this?
2: Yeah, it's, you know, I don't know how much we are meant to read the conversation that's about to happen back into this part of the text.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But if you
2: don't do that, it is kind of interesting that, like, I don't know. I kind of want to read it as, like, people are who, who are on the margins kind of look out for each other. And mm. just so the fact that the, the king is actually looking for these people kind of makes you want to protect them. Right, that them, fact you know alone, yeah.
1: yes, would pique her interest. I love that. I really love that.
2: Is that how you would read it or would you go someplace different?
1: I don't think I have an answer to the question yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I know what's coming, and so mm-hmm. I read it in light of that. But, but I really like that. Is there anything else you want to say about these these opening lines?
2: I mean, the only other thing that, that that I'm noticing is just her like enthusiasm for like them getting like hurry chase after them. You could catch up with them. Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> she is like, yes, encouraging she totally,
1: them. I was, yes, she totally like inhabits that role. Yeah. Like you could totally do it. Go on guys. Yeah. Like,
2: so she comes off, like she's really their biggest supporter. Like, I hope you can do this thing. When in fact, what she's trying to do is get rid of them. Yeah. You know, she is invested in them leaving, just not in the way she says she's invested. But yeah. I, I feel like she comes across to them as like, she really wants us to succeed. So let's go.
1: And I'm, you know, I'm really glad you named that because I think, you know, we won't go into it in in depth now, maybe later, maybe not. But I've mentioned this before in stories from the biblical texts where there's like a person who is not endowed with any social authority, like according to the, the rules of the rule book, and that they, in order to have power in society, they do things that make us, that might make us uncomfortable. Right. Like I know there are. Christian interpreters who are uncomfortable with this whole thing. The fact that she lied to the King and, you know, they're like, but you're not supposed to lie. Like, yes, it was (laughs) a good thing that you did, but you should have found another way. Mm. And the reality is in a lot of these stories, I don't know if there is no other way or if, I mean, I don't know what to say about that, but the reality is when we have stories about people who are really pushed to the margin of society, the margins of society, they use what they've got, you know, and they're not beholden to the the playbook <laughs> that not just that the empire is beholden to, but even that, you know, I, no, I don't like to see people lying, but really what were her options?
2: No, I think that's right. And I mean, when you're in a biblical text where, you know, Jacob is one of the main characters in the book of Genesis and
0: mm-hmm. his
2: whole thing is lying to his father, Isaac, in order to get the birthright and the blessing You know, like this is not the first time that this has happened in this text. And the text never seems bothered by it. It kind of seems to Mm -hmm. appreciate the craftiness Mm -hmm. of these characters. And I think your analysis of it is exactly right. they are people who don't have official access to power. And they're finding creative ways of accessing power. Mm -hmm. And whatever you might think about that. It kind of, that's sort of the way the world works. And this text seems to get that.
1: Yeah. Yep. I think that's right. Okay. So I'm going to pick up then in verse eight. The spies had not yet gone to sleep when she came up to them on the roof. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given the country to you because dread of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land are quaking before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Sea of Reeds for you when you left Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings across the Jordan, whom you doomed. When we heard about it, we lost heart, and no man had any more spirit left because of you, for the Lord your God is the only God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, since I have shown loyalty to you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will show loyalty to my family. Provide me with a reliable sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. The men answered her, Our persons are pledged for yours, even to death. If you do not disclose this mission of ours, we will show you true loyalty when the Lord gives us the land. Mm. Her first sentence to them, I just find incredible. I know that the Lord has given the country to you. Yeah. You kind of talked already about how we think she knows that. (laughs) Did I? What did I say? (laughs) Well, how do you think she knows that? Let's see if you say the same thing. This will be fun.
2: (laughs) So, I mean, I guess what I think about that is she's smart. She pays attention to things and people tell her stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so she kind of, she's heard people. I mean, the, the Israelites have done some stuff as she's talking about here coming up through the Transjordan and the story of Sihon and Og and the Amorites from the, in the book of Numbers. And, you know, she knows what's going on and she's smart enough to see the writing on the wall. I think that's how I read that. Is that is that what you were thinking or are you are you thinking something else?
1: Yeah, no, I think yes, I think that is right and I think it goes back to the fact that that men of of knowledge and power and experience in the world all come to her. Right. <laughs> right, right. And tell her things probably because they think she's just a little harlot like yeah. this doesn't count as telling secrets because yeah. you know Because what's happening right now is not happening. You know, I've entered some alternative reality where I am not actually at a harlot's house and, you know,
2: we're
1: in the time warp.
2: Yeah. And I mean, like her experience with people presumably is quite intimate. And so like there is, you know, that's the kind of situation in which one tells secrets. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you might not even be thinking about the fact that the person you're with is a sex worker, but just like, I mean, someone that you've, had sex with. And so like there is a feeling of intimacy and connection there, I would imagine. And so she probably does hear all kinds of things because people think it's safe, but also because it's an intimate moment and people are, are vulnerable.
1: Yeah.
2: And so, yeah, I think she she hears what, what people are really thinking about because they underestimate her. And also Mm -hmm. because they feel intimately connected to her. I think that's exactly right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, the, the rabbis also imagine they, they have I don't know they they're they're fascinated and perplexed by, by Rahav, but they imagine that she is one of the most beautiful women in the world. She's one of the four top. They name the top beautiful women, and Rahav is one of them.
2: Who are the other and three? They, you know? So oh, it's
1: like Sarah and Rachel and Esther.
2: Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Noted. Yeah. So she's the one who's not an Israelite.
1: Yes.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's the one
1: who's not an Israelite. And they also imagine, this is fairly distressing, but uh, (laughs) they don't mean it to be distressing, but it is to a modern person, that she has been in the business for so long. They imagine that she began her work as a harlot when she was 10. Oh my goodness. So put aside our horror at that for a moment. We can return to that later. Um, Their point is that She's like best in class. Yeah, you know, knows what she's doing, and and all the there's this rabbinic story that you can just recite her name three times and like have a um, physiological response to that. <laughs> really incredible sexual power. Yeah, fine. Also, in this part where um, it says, "When when we heard about it, we lost heart, and no man had any more spirit left because of you." Mm they They rework sort of the roots of the words used in that translation a little bit to basically mean that they could not have a physiological response yeah. in her presence when they were thinking about, yeah, God's power. yeah, so you know they have they have rewritten this part of it to make it about <laughs> about uh the you know, God's feats and God's power and how it's even greater than Rahav's sexual prowess yeah but it's just another way that precisely because of the line of work that she is in she has access to the information that will
2: save the israelites that's really fascinating yeah (laughs) i like thinking about that like a whole town of erectile dysfunction because (laughs) they're they're aware of how powerful the israelites are going to be what god has been doing <laughs> That's kinda awesome.
1: It's um okay, I have to read you. Just I'm trying this to imagine thing. the it's...
2: like commercials for the <laughs> you know <laughs> oh, I can't think of a good ED drug, but
1: okay <laughs> yeah. I have to. I have to read you this tiny, tiny bit. Rumors um, of the Israelite attack got you
2: down, <laughs> and they're like in a bathtub. You know how those—they're always like in a bathtub outside in those commercials.
0: Anyway, it's, sorry. I mean,
1: it's really it. It's beyond. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just picture these conversations between these ancient rabbis happening in like a <laughs> yeah. basement poker game.
0: Like, yeah, yeah. It's
1: um, <laughs> it's it's quite fascinating history of interpretation. Okay, and then she moves on and and asks to be saved. Yeah. Does that, how does that fit for you with, I don't know. Let me just ask the question in this way. How does this all feed into your understanding of Rahav as a human? Mm. Like as what, what she believes and what she's prioritizing and I don't know. What makes her tick?
2: Yeah, I mean, I read her as a person who has been pushed to the margins in her society. She's clearly playing an important role there, but one that's not officially approved or at least not centered in the in the city.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so she has been pushed to the edge. And so she has learned to look out for herself and to look out for the people who she loves because nobody else is looking out for them. And so she's learned to read the tea leaves and kind of understand what is coming and to pay attention and to be thinking always a couple of steps ahead about how do I protect my people, how do I protect myself? And mm-hmm. she's, she sees what's coming. I mean, she quotes, or at least comes really close to it, the Song of the Sea from Exodus 15. Yeah.
1: Uh Uh-huh. She pretty much quotes it. Like she knows what she's talking about.
2: She does. And so she's really insightful. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I. so the verse 11, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below.
1: Mm.
2: That is quite a confession of faith. Yes. And I go back and forth. I'm curious what you think about it between whether she has become convinced that that is true
0: mm-hmm. or
2: whether she has become convinced that in order to save herself and her family she needs for them to think that she believes that that is true like is she saying what she yeah. believes or is she saying what is necessary to say do you do you have any thoughts about that you know
1: i think you just sort of got to the heart of of the question that was lurking in the back of my mind like is her asking now to be saved, is that actually a sign of her faith because Mm. she is so confident that they are going to be successful that, you know, that it's obvious that she would throw in her lot with them or, or does it somehow undermine the idea that she is acting in faith and seem more like self-interest? Maybe those things are not actually in tension with each other.
2: They're, they don't have to be in tension with each other, I don't think. But I'm realizing as we're talking that the way that I'm thinking about her is she told the king and his men what they needed to hear in order mm. for them to not think she was conspiring with the Israelites. Mm. So if, the, if Jericho wins the battle, she is safe with them. Now she has said mm. to the Israelites the thing that she needs to say to them for them to think she's on their side. And so, if Israel wins the battle, then she is safe with them. Mm. And so, I don't know. I mean, I don't i I feel a little cynical, but I don't mean it to be cynical. i I just mean to say she her thing is that she needs to protect herself and the people around her. She doesn't believe she doesn't trust anybody else. yeah, is going to protect her or her people just out of the goodness of their hearts. And so she's kind of using what she knows in order to find protection for herself. If you read it that way, it's not a confession of faith really at all.
1: Right. Right.
2: I don't know. I don't know. Now that I've, you know, having said that, I'm not sure how I, how I feel about that, but what, what do you do with her?
1: I love that you have complicated it in that way, because I think that maybe influenced by reading all these history of interpretation Every, all the interpreters read her, read this as a real statement of faith. Yeah. And some of them read it as a moment of conversion mm. that she stops her harlotry here and, you know, becomes a believer. I don't really think that makes sense, but, but they certainly all take her, her confession of faith here as serious, but you're exactly right. She may be hedging i don't I don't know, I don't know if there's any way we can know, and if she is hedging, how do we feel about that?
2: I mean, for me, I think it's I feel a lot of respect for her because mm-hmm. she, in a vulnerable situation, has done what she can do to put herself in a situation where she it's not that she can't lose, but she really has created the best situation for herself, and I have a lot of respect for that, yeah, because nobody's looking out for her, right. She has figured out how to look out for herself,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and mm-hmm. It, is it manipulative? I mean, yes.
1: I mean, it is, but but the whole systems are manipulating her, like right? It, yeah, we just exactly. can't see the manipulation that's built into our typical power structures. So, I'm not I'm not worried about whether it's manipulative or not because she does she does exactly what she said she was going to do. She yeah. saves them, and. And doesn't tell anyone about their mission. Yeah. So she upheld her.
2: That's exactly right. Bargain. She does write by them for sure. Mm-hmm. She does, and she doesn't tell anybody, and she doesn't turn them in, and she doesn't. You know, she's she's covered herself with the people of Jericho by creating this story mm-hmm. about them having come and left, and she doesn't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, and so she doesn't need to, you know, be the like the tattletale or whatever. So she does write by them. She does what she says she's going to do. She does save their lives. Like she does make it possible for them to come to Jericho. And so, yeah, I, I'm not opposed to her having committed herself to the God of Israel here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I just think it makes the story a little too easy or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hi, everyone. It's Bobby here from Bibleworm. Worm. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Amy and I started Bible Worm a couple of years ago because we wanted to create a space where we could talk deeply about the Bible in ways that bring together our academic backgrounds in biblical studies and our deep engagement with communities and people of faith. We decided to make this resource free because we want everyone to have access to sound biblical scholarship that connects biblical faith to everyday life. We hope you're finding the podcast fits that need. That said, while the podcast is free, making it is not. Amy and I and the rest of team Bibleworms spend a lot of time and energy studying, recording, and editing the podcast to make it freely available to the public. If you enjoy the podcast and if you find yourself in a position to support our work, we hope that you will consider becoming a Bibleworm supporter for as little as $4 per month. For a bit more, you can also get early access to episodes, weekly liturgies, video Bible studies, join a monthly discussion group and more. We realize not everyone is in a position to support the podcast, if you appreciate our work and want to support us, we hope you'll check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Bibleworm podcast for more details. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to this week's podcast.
1: Okay, so I will pick up then in verse 15. She let them down by a rope through the window, for her dwelling was at the outer side of the city wall, and she lived in the actual wall. She said to them, make for the hills so that the pursuers may not come upon you. Stay there in hiding three days until the pursuers return, then go your way. But the men warned her, we will be released from this oath which you have made us take, unless when we invade the country, you tie this length of crimson cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your family together in the house. And if anyone ventures outside the doors of your house, his blood will be on his head, and we shall be clear. But if a hand is laid on anyone who remains in the house with you, his blood shall be on our heads. And if you disclose this mission of ours, we shall likewise be released from the oath which you made us take. She replied, let it be as you say. She sent them on their way, and they left, and she tied the crimson cord to the window. It just strikes me reading this, Bobby, who gave these spies this authority to negotiate with her? That's not really the point of our reading. We're supposed to be thinking about
2: Rahav, but. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of an interesting question because, I mean, I don't know that they have the authority, but I'm interested in the way that they say this oath that you made us take. <laughs> like, I know. She kind yeah. of backed them into the corner. So I, I don't think they were like given permission, like, hey, go and see if you can yeah. buy somebody off and, you know. We'll save their life. But I think they really got stuck in the situation where she saved their lives. And so what do you do? Life for life. So you saved our lives. We'll save right. your life. Right. I don't know that they had the authority to do that, but I think that they could do no other.
1: Right. They didn't, they didn't have a choice. It's interesting in verse 14, the, at least the way it reads is they're so relieved when she comes back up to the roof to say that she sent away the king, right? That they, you know, our persons are pledged for yours, even to death. And then a couple of verses later, they're like, "Wait, let's put some conditions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll
1: put some conditions on yeah, this. Yeah. This promise we just made." But yeah, I mean, I guess what else would they have done? Because she could easily have, oh yeah, you know, just let people know where they were, and that would have been the end of that.
2: Yeah, their lives were completely in her hands, and so it's reasonable to then let. Let her put the, her life in their hands.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will you talk to me about the fact that she lives in the actual wall? First, <laughs> first of all, tell yeah. tell me about the wall. There's a wall, the city wall. I don't know. Yeah. What's happening here? She lives in a wall.
2: She does. I mean, so Jericho, of course, is a sizable city. And I think that what's being envisioned is that it has a, like a double wall. So, or like, I mean, I don't know if you want to think about it. It's a double wall or like a really thick wall. But Uh, the city wall and there are oftentimes houses that are built into the city wall. Mm -hmm. And so she is living in a structure that has been built into the, the thickness of the wall. I mean, plot wise it's convenient because it lets her have a window (laughs) that Mm
0: -hmm. faces
2: out. And so she can lower people down without having to open the gate.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I think metaphorically it's kind of interesting because she is, physically lives at, at the furthest edge of the Jericho society that she could possibly live. Like her house is backed up into the wall itself. Mm -hmm. So you literally could be no more marginal. Yes. Those are the kind of two things I think about that. I don't know. I'm not sure I quite answered your question, but. No,
1: I, I mean, I think you did answer the question. I think that's, that is just the, the, just the kind of resonance that I was thinking about that Yeah, it is. It is a very clear image of someone who is just almost outside. (laughs)
0: Yeah, right.
1: But not not quite totally outside. The history of Christian interpretation of this part has a lot of fun with the crimson cord and the three days. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Christians, we we love our threes. Anything with a three, we're like, yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Three days yeah, in the three tomb, three persons
2: of the Trinity. Like give us our threes and we're happy. What yeah. Is that what they do? Is that what they do with it? Something about the
1: Yes. I think that's the three. And then the crimson is, you know, the the blood of Christ.
2: Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. The the Jews also have some fun with the core. Yeah, I was gonna say. Because okay, so this it feels so sort of like outlandish in a way, but Here's what, here's what happens in Jewish interpretation. They imagine that, it, it, they cannot fathom that this character was so important and so faithful and so just like critical at this moment in the story and then disappears and no one ever hears from her. Right. Again. Even though the biblical text doesn't really tell us much else about her. So they imagine that Joshua and Rahab get married.
2: <laughs> of course they do. Yeah,
1: of course they do, and that she is the mother of of many children, eight children, I think. One of whom is Hulda the prophetess, who hmm. we'll read about later in the Tanakh, because it says in the text that Hulda is the daughter of Tikvah, and Tikva, which means hope in Hebrew, and is a name that people have, also is the word for cord. Ah. Gotcha. Yeah, we like it. Kind of circles around a little bit, but yeah. they—the fact that there's a cord out the window gives them some little foothold into where else can we find maybe possibly hints of Rahav in the later story of the Israelites.
2: That's so interesting. In the New Testament, uh, Rahav is the mother of Boaz, who hmm. then marries Ruth. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that comes through the Jewish tradition or not. That sounds like a little bit of a different. I
1: don't remember.
2: But it's interesting that both the Jewish and Christian traditions are like trying to. I know. She's got to be somewhere. She's got to keep. She's such a pivotal
1: character. Mm -hmm.
2: Where I thought you were going to go, if I was a rabbinic interpreter and I was thinking about crimson on the window, I would be connecting it to the story of the Passover. Yeah. And thinking of, so, like in the same way that you're thinking about Christians and the blood of Christ, I would be thinking about Passover and the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. As death comes to Jericho, this one window that's marked with with red is spared. Is, is that a connection I that we can make? I would not
1: at all be surprised to know that that was a connection. Yeah. I don't remember it, but the, the interpretation is so rich and varied mm-hmm. and spread across so many different sort of sure. bodies of literature o- that of but I don't know. But I think that resonance is definitely there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: One other thing that I noticed in this part, it's not super important, but the instructions that she gives them are to go toward the highlands. And so this is just another example of how she kind of knows what's up. Like, of course, the king and and his men headed toward the Jordan, which is where the Israelites are.
0: Mm. And so
2: she's smart enough to realize, like, go the other way and then stay out there long enough for the search party to come back, and then you can go.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It just seems like she's thinking on her on her feet. She
1: totally is, and she's right about all of it. It all oh, works. absolutely.
2: Yeah, it absolutely does.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like the level of strategy that you would expect from the military leader of the people. Yeah. And it's just this harlot who lives in the wall. Exactly. Who is trying to keep her immediate family safe.
2: Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that makes me laugh in this part of the text, I'm not sure this is probably not important, but so she lowers them on the rope through the window, and then she's then they have this whole conversation about what they're gonna do, and so it's like, like just they're have that conversation, the- <laughs> yeah, hey, <laughs> way, a private conversation, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill me when you come back. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me laugh so much. Like you could have just had that conversation before you lowered them down.
1: That is very awkward.
2: Probably this is some quirk of Hebrew that it's hard to express that or something. But anyway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Okay. We're almost done with this chapter. Just a couple more verses. I'm picking up in verse 22. They went straight to the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers turned back. And so the pursuers searching all along the road did not find them. Then the two men came down again from the hills and crossed over. They came to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has delivered the whole land into our power. In fact, all the inhabitants of the land are quaking before us. Mm. We actually had a a little question between us whether we needed to include those two verses because Rahab herself is not... In them, and it doesn't really report so much, But what is striking to me is that they basically quote Rahav back to Joshua as though it's this is like the God's honest truth. like that's as right. though they themselves, you would think that they themselves had seen the people quaking, yeah, and they saw no such thing. The only person they talked to was
0: Rahav.
2: that's the way it seems. That's uh, right. That's interesting, Amy. So we don't get any stories about them actually observing or talking to anyone else. Just their whole assessment of the situation is Rahav's assessment. As far as I can tell. They plan their whole strategy based on what she said. Yes. I I had not put it together for myself quite like that, but I I like that a lot.
1: She must be a very compelling person. Mm Mm-hmm. Bobby, we hear a little bit more about Rahab in chapter six. We're right. not going to read all of chapter six. That's the chapter where they actually come and take the city of Jericho. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to lift up just like the two verses where it basically confirms like, check, they did it. <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so that is chapter six, verse 22, verses 22 and 23. But Joshua bade the two men who had spied out the land go into the harlot's house and bring out the woman and all that belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young spies went in and brought out Rahav, her father and her mother, her brothers and all that belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and left them outside the camp of Israel. Do you see more in there than just a like check, check, check the box.
2: I mean, I was thinking two things as you were reading. The first one is, you know, we have this, you talk about the merit of the ancestors from time to time, and that, mm. I, that idea has sort of stuck with me. And, and then thinking about, like, where are there points in the biblical text where one person's faithfulness or one person's actions have merits that extend to other people? And this seems a little bit to me like that. It's basically because Rahab has done right by the Israelites then whoever she's gathered into her house like she's vouching for them and they're saying yes like those people all who are in her, your household those people will be saved
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so then you think of maybe like Job and how Job's righteousness covers his sons or Noah and how Noah's righteousness like saves his family I don't I don't quite know what to do with that but it seems it seems important that her righteousness does, or her faithfulness or her whatever it is, doesn't just save her, but it has Mm -hmm. effects for people around her. Mm Do you do anything with
1: that? I love that. I mean, I think, you know, I I am sort of just taken with your observation from the beginning of our conversation Mm -hmm. that is true of so many people, not only people who are really pressed to the margins of society, but especially Mm -hmm. people who are pressed to the margins. They look out for their people. Yeah. And so again, it's like, it's sort of the like check in that, like, okay, everyone did what they said they were going to do, but also check in that Rahav was able to do it.
2: Like, she was right. able
1: to save her people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. And I like to imagine, like, I don't know who all she brought in the house with her, but her whole clan, it says in the mm-hmm. CV. I like to think of Rahab as getting as many people in the house <laughs> like as she could. And that, in my mind, they're all the weirdos of Jericho, you know what I'm saying? Like the people that are living in the city wall and like the people that are like mm. in the alleys or whatever, like it's the people that never quite fit in in Jericho that she's like trying to gather them all in. I don't know, that's not in the text, but
1: no, I love it though. I love it.
2: The other thing that I notice in what you were reading is Verse 23, they brought her whole clan out and let them stay outside the camp of Israel. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting that yes. after all of this, she's still on the margins. She's
1: still outside the camp.
2: She's still outside. She's at, at the edge of a different community.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That line, maybe because I've been reading too many interpreters who were like, no, no, she totally converted and got married and, you know, whatever. <laughs> all right. That really struck me as I read it too.
2: Yeah. What, where did it take you?
1: <sighs> I'm, not, I'm not sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It seems to me like the natural thing would have been for her to come in, live among the people of Israel, even mm-hmm. if, you know, just as a straight, a quote unquote stranger among them, a ger toshav, you know, stranger dwelling among them. The phrase outside the camp for me has a very like pointedness about it which mm-hmm. which is really from a different biblical tradition but the idea that like the things you put outside the camp are the things you can't you can't be interacting with that it is sullied right. and sullying in some mm-hmm. way I don't know that that's really implied by the author here but this is not a binding together of the fates of Rahab and the Israelites right. they had this like critical overlap that enabled both clans or however you want to talk about Rahab's people and the Israelites people to survive. Right. And then that seems like that's it. Although, you know, again, the history of interpretation is like, no, no, of course that's not it. That can't be it. Right. I mean, sometimes that is it like sometimes mm-hmm. in the world, like I'm, I'm sort of departing from, the story for a moment, but like sometimes someone comes into your life at this critical moment and you have this incredibly intense thing and enable each other to get through something. And, and then that's really it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that can be hope giving to know that those people are in the world and are still in the world and people like that are in the world, but maybe harder. Like we we want to believe that once those things happen, we will be our fates will be tied forever. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening.
2: The translation of the end of verse 23 in the CEB is they brought her whole clan out and let them stay outside Israel's camp. What, how does it read in the JPS? They
1: brought out her whole family and left them outside the camp. Yeah. Which doesn't say, like, put them outside the camp, like, but... Uh, and we have to like we have we have intentionally skipped Chapter Six because it it's kind of a whole other story it is, and it's a pretty it is it's a really violent overtaking of the city. It is important to read. it is not about Rahab, and so we didn't want to sort of go into all of that, but in that context, being outside the camp could have like a protective sensibility about it because mm-hmm. everything in the every everything in the city is being burned basically right.
2: yeah. That's interesting. And I I mean probably I'm making a lot out of one little phrase in a <laughs> in a very long text. That's what we do. Yeah. But I do I mean I I agree with you that there is some sense of protection there, but I also think it's notable that they set them outside the camp.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: as though it would not be proper or appropriate to actually bring them into mm-hmm. the camp. And so there's still there's still an otherness to it. I don't quite know what to do with that, but just that seems, despite what Rahav has done for the Israelites, she still remains an other. She, she can't be incorporated fully for yeah. whatever reason.
1: Right. And dis- despite her apparent profession of faith.
2: Right. Right.
1: It just doesn't seem to be, that's not the conversation that's being had. Right. She's such a fascinating character, and it, it's it is. Re- I mean, it's really interesting talking with you and reading the text, and also looking at the history of interpretation to see how ancient and modern and Jewish and Christian interpretation interpretations have tried to piece together a character that is broad enough and complex enough right. to hold all of these all of these things about her. She does not. feel fit easily into these boxes that especially ancient thinkers wanted to put women into that. They're either like the sinful harlot or the wise and valorous, you know, woman. Right. But I, I, I like how complicated at least our conversation is letting her be.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: All right, Bobby, after all of this, all of these complexities we have raised up, What is rising to the top of your
2: mind? I almost this week feel a little bit like I just love what you were saying about Rahav and how complicated she is and how rich her character is and all of these things. And I'm just having this moment of like trying to say, here's my takeaway is basically an effort to reduce all of that to something (laughs) that I can stick in my pocket, you know? So, partly, I just want to revel in the character and how amazing she is in terms of the way she can exercise the power and access that she has to protect the people that she cares about. Mm -hmm. And what just what an amazing thing that is. She is reminding me in a lot of ways of kind of people that I hang out with at Mercy Church and now at Canvas Community who are and not necessarily sex workers, but people who have been on the margins and living complicated lives. And they are absolutely the ones who look out for each other in ways that I find really inspiring on a, on a daily basis. Pe- people who are pushed to the edges and they find other people who are pushed to the edges and they pull them together into community And so, I mean, maybe the takeaway for me is that there are people like Rahav kind of all around, Mm. people that for whatever reason, I mean, I don't mean to make her sound like commonplace, but people who for whatever reason have been pushed to the edge of their respective societies, kept on the outskirts of the camp, but are in fact quite remarkable and extraordinary people who are capable of powerful things, And who are deeply committed to the people that they love. And I think there's a lot of folks in our world who get discounted. I mean, I I know Mm -hmm. that I discount people all the time based on a whole variety of different factors. And this text to me stands as a reminder that you shouldn't so easily discount people because of what they do or who they are or where they live or those kinds of things but there people all around us are capable of remarkable things so i mean i i feel like i often come back to this sort of reflection on who do who do we spend our time with and mm-hmm. how how seriously do we take people that otherwise might not get taken seriously and I, I say it i think because i just need to remind myself all the time that there are there are amazing people in the world who can teach us a lot who might even be able to save our life at some point in ways that we might not anticipate and it's easy, easy, easy to take them for granted. Yeah. I think that's I think that's where I'm sitting with this text today.
1: I really love that. And I love I've loved this whole conversation with you because, you know, as I mentioned before, I've mostly have done history of interpretation of Rahav. And whenever I have written about it. I feel like I can't quite land the plane in articulating what bothers me so much mm-hmm. in the history of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And what bothers me is that they flatten her into a symbol.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: And you know, it can run the whole gamut. You know, it can, it's like a symbol in the Jewish tradition of teshuvah. Like you can, you can convert, you can change your pathway. Look, God accepts and loves even Rahab, who was this terrible, dirty harlot and changed her ways. So certainly God Mm. can love you too. You know, like it's this, um, and then she becomes this paradigmatic, the wife of Joshua and the mother of prophets. And like, and I am not sure that we see any kind of personal transformation in Rahab. Right. I think that, the, the situation that she's in changed. She has an opportunity to do something, and she does. But in some ways, as you're saying, Bobby, it's almost like, okay, this moment, this is the one moment that we've seen how she saved her family mm. because it happens to overlap with the story of the Israelites. And that's the story that's being told here. And so we get to see Rahab. Right. But I actually love your suggestion that, like, there are people like this all over the place, doing these kinds of pretty, like, smart and incredible things all the time, to to save the people who are important to them. Mm-hmm. And so, as you said, like, I don't want to d- diminish Rahav, but I also don't, I. She is singular in the biblical text because this is not the way most of the stories are told. Right. But I don't think that she is singular in the way, the way the world actually is. Mm. I think the other, the last thing I want to add, and again, I think it's really just sort of augmenting or echoing something that you said is that, you know, I mentioned before and the rabbis have you know they they imagine that she's such an expert at her harlotry because she has been a harlot for forty years since she was ten years old. And the fact that there is a history of interpretation that can even imagine that it is indicative of a sinful nature mm-hmm. to be engaged in sex work when that's something you've been doing since you were ten years old, right is so. Insane to me. I mean, I think it's probably insane to think that way about a person of any age. But like, it—it's it, just so clear. If mm-hmm. a child has been pressed into that, it has nothing to do with sinful nature. It has to do with the right. worlds that they inhabit and exactly the, the way that the world doesn't care for them. So I've really, I've really loved reading this text with you, Bobby, and getting to to draw Rahavina in a fuller way and mm-hmm. uh, not just as a, a symbol or a tool for other, some other conversation. She is her own thing.
2: Mm-hmm. I really like that, Amy. And I appreciate what you're saying about her and especially about her, like her life and who she is and not erasing her past or her present. I think that, you know, even if you read that one line about your God, where she says your God is the God of heaven and earth, like I'm f- very much open to the possibility that that is an honest confession that she has made, that she has understood what is happening, and yet still, that doesn't cha- need to change anything about who she is or who she's been or who she's going to be. Mm-hmm. I just think whichever way you read that line, the the beauty and complexity of that character is there throughout, and mm-hmm. I, I think holding that and embracing that is important.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I, I, yes, I think absolutely. I had, uh, I had always read that as an earnest proclamation of faith, but even so, what was she supposed to do? Like, what would she have done with that belief before this moment? Right. Like it's her circumstances changed. Right. And we all live in conversation with our circumstances. We are not floating ideals. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah stuff, Bobby.
2: It's fun reading these texts with you, Amy, and we will be back to our regular narrative lectionary next time.
1: We sure will. Great. Well, I look forward to talking again. Take care.
2: All right. I'll see you next time. Bye.
1: For joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm, if you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as four dollars per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com/slash Bible Worm Podcast for details.
2: Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many, many thanks to all our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible.
1: Thank you for joining us for this special episode in our series, Raising Up the Stories of Women in Scripture. I hope you'll tune in again next time. Until then, keep on digging.